Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I told you we would talk a lot about my niece Willow, right? So I got a Willow story for you guys to start open, or to start for our opening. Um, so my niece um, is a wonderful little human. That being said, she's a spitfire, right? Um, she marches to the beat of her own drum. She does her thing, and it's wonderful, and I'm all here for it. But it could be a lot sometimes. Um, so recently, I, I went to visit her, and when I go to visit her, um, there's, a, there's a couple things. Any of you guys that have kids, which I think maybe two of you, um, but you guys know that you have kids. They don't necessarily always see you as a person, right? When they look at you, you're usually a resource that can help them with something, right? And especially if you're an uncle. So my niece, anytime I go to see her, it's wonderful. She greets me at the door. She's ecstatic, but she always asks for three things. And her favorite thing to do with me is go for a ride in my truck. So always, 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 she, she, and she calls me Knuckle. Since she was little, she couldn't pronounce it right. So she always calls me Knuckle. So when I walk through the door, it's, she's Knuckle, Knuckle. And what do you think she asks next? Can I go for a ride? That's what she always says. And we used to do that a lot because um, we lived on a bigger ranch, and I could drive her around when she was little in my lap, and um, we could just drive for miles safely, go nice and slow. She's since moved, and we can't do that anymore. So recently, I've been telling her no a lot more. So it's been no, 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 no. So then the next thing is what for my parents? What do kids always go to next? Can I have your phone, or can I have your iPad, or things like that? But recently, I felt really bad because her and I had not gone for a ride in a while. So I wanted to give her a ride in my truck. And that's always an eventful thing um, for a couple of reasons. One, like I said, she tends to be out of control sometimes, and it's really fun until you're dealing with it. Two, any of you guys ever seen the movie Frozen? (laughs) I I can tell my parents out there. This movie is ridiculous. Um, There's uh, essentially a princess, and then there's a snowman who's kind of stupid, I think. Um, and then I can't tell you what, what goes on after that, but there's a certain song in there, and you guys can probably think of it, that we always have to listen when she's writing. And I mean listen, 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 like back to back to back. What's that song called? Let it go. Yes! <laughs> and I know it by heart. I couldn't tell you a thing about the movie, but I know that by heart. But, but going back recently, it was put on my heart. I was like, you know, I'm going to go see Willow, and this time we're going to go for a ride. So... We go see her, get her car seat put together, and and we're going for a ride, and she loves it, right? Third time on Let It Go, and and, um, what happens, and this happens to me all the time, while we're driving, we actually stumble upon a motorcycle accident. So um, me being in the occupation that I am, I always try to get out and help if I can. Um, We get out, help at this motorcycle accident, it was a, the area it was in was actually a fire department I'd worked at before. So I knew all the guys showing up. She got to see the truck. We, we helped this person out. You know, I'm not going to go into details with that. But afterwards, getting back and talking to her, this little girl was ecstatic. And I mean ecstatic, right? She just saw a fire truck. She, I don't think she understands what was happening here. 
But what I wouldn't give to have that perspective on life. What I wouldn't give to look at the things the way a child looks at things, to have that optimism, right? A couple weeks ago, one of my last sermons we talked about, I preached about the fact that when, when we're young and when we're born, we almost seem to have this factory setting of optimism that God put in our life, right? And then as we start to grow and get older and life beats us up, we start to lose that and develop pessimism in our life, correct? Um, who's on right counter tonight? Tony's not here, so. Right. right. What I wouldn't give to look at life with perspective instead of perception. What is the difference between perspective and perception? Perspective is looking at a problem in a worldly global view, right? Perspective is looking at a problem the way God looks at a problem or looking at it through the eyes of eternity. And perception is the exact opposite. Perception is like looking at a problem and being doomed to those circumstances. Instead of looking at things globally, when we have perception, we tend to look at them in little 8 by 10 snapshots. Does anybody disagree with that? Perspective versus perception is the same argument we talk about when we talk about pessimism versus optimism. It's, 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 it could be ruining your relationship with God or it could be building it. And tonight we're going to look at, we're going to go through some scripture, but we're really going to focus on a, a character in the Bible who no matter what, never lost his perspective, right? Because we as Christians should be the most joyous people in the world. We have eternity planned for us and we should be a light to everybody else. And that, my friends, is perspective. And sometimes what happens is we lose our perspective because our perceptions are dictating what we do in life. And that's not biblical. That's not how God asks us to operate. And it's certainly not a good example for everybody else in the world. And that's why you'll see the, the big C, the church is at where it's at right now. Because we operate in the mode of perspe- or perception versus perspective. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to think about something as we go through this. How do we let our perceptions dictate our perceived outcome with God? How do we, again, I'll, I'll say that again. Think about in your life, and I'm as guilty of it as everybody else, How do we let our perceptions dictate our perceived outcome of God's plan in our life? Because I promise you, we're all human, as am I, and that is getting in the way of things that are promised to us by God, and it's affecting our attitudes. So up and up with me, we're going to start in Philippians 1, verse 3. It says, and we're going to talk about this in a second, I thank my God every time I remember you. In my prayers for... In my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership. In the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So a couple things here, right? The book of Philippians is really an awesome book, right? There's a couple um, scriptures we can all think of. 
because Philippians in general, if you study this thing, and, and I implore all of you guys to really get into your Bible and start studying this stuff, it's known as the book of joy. Um, and we're going to talk about kind of the circumstances and everything behind that. But Philippians is written from who? From Paul to churches in Philippi, um, which happen to be in modern-day Turkey. And all it does is talk about how they should be joyous because um, the light and their promises and everything that God has in store for them. And they're a new church, right? Joy. Joy is what should dictate us as Christians. Joy. Why should we have joy in our lives? Why is joy highlighted in this book? If we have the correct perspective, we as Christians should understand joy, right? We should understand that more than anybody else in the entire world. Why? Because our eternity is planned. Because God has a plan for us. Because no matter what, we have somebody looking out for us all the time. We have a guardian. We have a promise to our lives. And we know that after this life, it's not going to end, right? Anybody should be joyous about that. But what happens, again, and we're going to talk about it, perception versus perspective, we let perception ruin that. We have to understand joy in our lives. And let me ask you this. Have any of you ever been given, like, an amazing gift? Something you didn't deserve? All of us at some point should say yes, right? Maybe we can think of when our parents got us a vehicle or um, something our spouse gave us or maybe a proposal or something like that. Remember how you felt when you got this amazing gift, especially if you didn't deserve it. That's what we have in our lives every day, and that's what people should see from us because of the, the joy that Jesus' sacrifice has in our life. And people should see that. But what happens? That's our perspective, right? But then work happens. Um, then you get in a fight with your spouse. Then things really just start to not go your way, and you start to lose sight of what really matters in life. Because we talk about it all the time, right? God paints on a canvas the size of the universe, and we tend to look at our lives in 8 by 10 snapshots. Perception versus perspective. Think about the amazing gift, and that's what it's talking about in here. The book of joy should be alive in all of our lives. Do we do a good job of that, though? Think about it. Think about and maybe not save the cowboy, right? Because we're all perfect and happy and save the cowboy, correct? Wrong! You guys know crotchety Christian? <laughs> I just Googled that word this week. I had to uh, Google different words for um, grouchy. But think about it in your life. Do we as a church do a good job of planting joy in other people? No, because the first thing that happens, what's the first thing people see? Think about when you were learning or training or doing something. Is the first thing people see your words? Right? We can't see words. I know all of that. The first thing people see is your attitude and how you conduct yourself. And we as a big C church, as, as Christians, do a very bad job of that. Right? We think of those crotchety Christians that we know maybe in a Baptist church or that are my grandma's friends. They do not do a good job of displaying joy in their life. And, and I find that kind of interesting, and we're going to look at it as we go on, because that's not how Paul conducted himself. And he, of everybody, had every single right to not to have perceptions about his situation. 
what happens? The world can confuse joy and happiness. What's the difference between joy and happiness? Because we, there, there is a distinct difference, and, and maybe you guys can think of it. But let me, let me paint something for you here. The Latin word for joy is called guadere. Say it with me. Guadere. Yeah, thank you, Nate. Yeah, G-A-U-D-E-R-E, I think. Do you know what that means? <laughs> That's a good guess, but no. I love my plant here. I, I swear I pay him to answer these questions. It's like, you know, at a comedy show, like when, you, like, uh, especially if there's not a drink limit, the, they will absolutely plant people in the crowds and give them a five to laugh at dumb stuff. That's what Nate does for me. Um, what guadir means, Latin term, is to rejoice, to praise. A lot different than happiness, right? And do you want to know the real difference? Happiness is temporary and material. Joy is everlasting and spiritual. Happiness is temporary and it's based on something, and if that something gets taken from you, you lose it. But joy is spiritual and it's planted in you based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and it can never be taken from you. How awesome is that? Do not confuse happiness with joy. Do not let perceptions and the way world, the world treats you take away your joy that's, that's on the inside, right? They can take my happiness all they want. There'll be times in life because that's a temporary feeling that I'll be unhappy. Um, but the enemy will never take my joy. And that's what we should display as Christians. So let, going on, let's move now to verse 12. Paul goes on to say, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That's what we're doing here at Save the Cowboy. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You see him start to paint, right? We talked about the book of joy. He's writing this book while he's chained in prison for being a Christian. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have, be, have become confident in the Lord and, and, I'm sorry, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul is in bad circumstances here, right? But what is he talking about? We're talking about a man that wrote the majority of the New Testament and the majority of the time he was in prison. Paul is in chains. He's in prison. And, and I did a little research on that. Uh, he went to prison a couple of times, but this particular time he's in Roman prison and it's really bad and he's actually chained to a guard. But what do we see him saying here? Even though I'm in prison, this can be an example to you guys. Even though I'm starving and I'm cold and I'm not eating, this is a perfect God-given chance for me to be a great example to you guys. And what it talks about, and I did a, a, a little bit of research on how Roman prison worked, and essentially Paul was a political prisoner, which meant that he would have a guard the whole time. Um, and, and what would happen is every four hours or so, they would change out guards. Assuming they had this many, and I'm going to be optimistic here, I'm going to have some perspective. Um, that also gave him an opportunity to preach to over 3,000 guards, assuming it wasn't the same five people every day. Think about that, though. In the midst of Paul's bad circumstances, he's proclaiming God's name and counts it as a, as, a, as a victory to be an example to other people. Paul realized that his, his current circumstances weren't as important as what he did with 
them. Super important, right? Because we, we know most of us are, are adults in life, even Maddie. Um, <laughs> she's here every week. I love it. Um, what happens in life, though? We talked about it. Seasons, valleys, things like that. Happiness comes, happiness goes. But we always have an opportunity to change our perspective, right? We always have an opportunity when bad things happen to, to not let it, to not only, we, we talked in the, in the last verse about sharing it and letting it be an example to others, but we also have an opportunity to not let bad circumstances dictate our relationship, especially with God. And that is a big deal, right? How many of you have ever been angry at God? I have. I, I would venture to say, right, if, if I asked you that question, most of your testimony would be very similar to mine. That is a trick from the devil to ruin you and God's relationship. Your circumstances aren't always what's happening, but what you do with them. My friends, that is perspective. Perspective is understanding something, and this is what all the, the, the verses that we just read, this is the summary of that. Perspective is understanding that God can and is using you in the midst of bad times. Anybody in a bad time right now? What about our world internationally? God is using you, and our perspective is understanding that even though things aren't going as I planned, God is using me for something. Right? How many are we on? No, you are lying. If you guys haven't been here, I say the word right a lot, and I have people count it for me because I'm trying to get better at that. It's filler word. Perspective can dictate everything. And, and one of the things I was thinking about, actually, as I was writing this sermon, I had to go run an errand real quick. I had an appointment. And one other thing, like we talked about Willow, right, and how I always talk about her. The other subject we really talk about on Sunday evenings is how terrible of a driver I am. How impatient. I hear Mitch laughing. How impatient. If you've ridden with me, you know, right, we're going to get, we're going to get, uh, we're going to baptize tonight in my driving ways this week at some point. Almost happened tonight. But I'm not a very good driver, right? And as I was driving to this appointment, what happens is I have to drive down Highway 24, which should be in the G- Geneva Convention as torture. It's like one lane each side. And for whatever reason, the further you get away from Colorado Springs, the slower people are. And we're pretty far from Colorado Springs. So what happens is I end up getting stuck behind this minivan. I feel my blood pressure going up. My heart's beating. I'm getting angry for no reason, right? It's a, it, and that's how my life is. Like the dumbest things get me going. Perspective versus perception, right? But... And this is almost the work of the Holy Spirit. I swear, I, I feel God and the Holy Spirit more when I'm driving than any other activity. But I, I feel this question going to my heart as I'm right behind the slowest minivan in the entire world. So slow, and I'm getting ready to pass them. And something goes off in my head that says, what if there's kids on board? What if they're going to a bad appointment? What if they're struggling financially and that mom's just trying to make it? And now you got this jerk behind you in a Dodge Ram 1500. And I've seen so much in my other career and in my lifetime to know like the bad things that can happen um, in accidents and things like that. But yet I get behind these people and I let something like that fire me up when this lady's just trying to be safe with her children in her car. Isn't it funny how perspective changes the way we think? 
but not only the way we think, like that actually changed my heart, my heart for the day and my heart for this sermon. A- amen, right? Um, that's perspective, right? My perception is that this lady's out to get me and she's slowing me down and she woke up today and said, you know what? Screw Tyler, I'm going to just make his life inconvenient. And the funny thing was, I had nowhere to be, truly. It didn't matter if I was late for this appointment, but what was going on in their life? And that is perspective. I doubt she got up and wanted to make my day any worse. She wanted to create a safe environment for her children in that van, correct? I'm also assuming it's a woman driving and all of that, but we won't get into that. It's a beautiful illustration. You guys go with it. That's perspective in our lives. Would I have been a great example for Christians and for Jesus Christ if she knew who I was and I did what I wanted to do on the road there? Probably not. And that's how our situations as Christians dictate the rest of the world. And sometimes I understand why the world has problems with Christianity. Because our actions don't match our words. The way we treat people and what's in our heart doesn't match what we're telling people. The way, the way we use our gifts and the joy that God has given us doesn't match the truth that we're using to beat people over the head. We can at least understand why people have problems with that, and that's exactly opposite of what Paul is telling us here. You never know what people are going through, and you should lovingly go through it with them because that is what God asks of us, and that's exactly what Jesus would do, correct? So pick up with me here, and we're going to skip over halfway through verse 18. Paul goes on to say, yes, I will continue to rejoice, right? Nate, what's the, um, what's the uh, Latin word for that? Guadir, correct. I will continue to rejoice and think about that. Not I will continue to rejoice because the Broncos actually won today, even though they lost draft picks, and we're not going to get into that. No, I will continue to rejoice even though I'm in a cellar chained to a Roman guard who's going to try his best to decapitate me. Not for something I've done, but for what I believe. So, perspective, right? Again, yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what got me while I was driving, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Another way for saying that when you see my actions, you see Jesus Christ, right? Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Doesn't matter if you kill me or if I live or you prolong my life, you are going to see Jesus in me, right? How beautiful it is. Again, we're not going to focus as much on Scripture tonight as I want you to focus on the man that's saying this stuff, and that's Paul, right? How beautiful is what he's saying there. Most important verse, some of you may have this tattooed. I guarantee you've all probably heard this. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is perspective, and to die is my perception, because when I die, I know where I'm going. And here we see it again, right? The continuation of rejoicing because the God of the universe has plans that are bigger than any human that's trying to keep him down. How does that work in our lives? It's getting dark outside. Squirrel. Um, But you see it, right? No matter what's happening, 
Paul, me, Nate, Tania, Mitch, we are going to rejoice because I know the promises that God has for me, and they're not of this world, they're in eternity. There's nothing you can do to take that from me. Because it's not happiness, it's joy. People ask all the time, this is one of my favorite questions, especially as a new pastor. Um, if you want to get into apologetics and things like that, if you guys know what that is, I'm, I don't want to mansplain. Um, people ask usually the same questions, and I, I can guarantee you Mitch can attest to that. So as a new pastor, that could be like an intimidating thing, right? Because I always want to answer your questions, and I always want to do a good job of relaying accurate information to you. So really, I've, I've tr- kind of gotten good at answering like three or four questions in many different ways. Um, I'm also really good at saying I don't know, because I'd rather, <laughs> I, I would rather not tell you something just to tell you something like that. I don't think that's biblical. Um, I would rather be like, I don't know, I got, I'll, I'll figure that out for you, or we'll figure it out together. But there's certain questions that everybody always asks. And one of the main ones that I've actually found a lot is, is people ask, how can I be closer to God? How can I feel God, and, and more importantly, the Holy Spirit in my life? And the answer to that, and, 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 and I'll admit it, at first I didn't know, but the more and more I explore it and go through it, I'm finding the answer to that, and you're not going to like this. And this doesn't come from me, it came from another pastor. The answer to how you can feel the Holy Spirit and be as close to God as possible, the only way I've found that works is to suffer. That answer stinks, doesn't it? But it's true. Think about it in your life. Think about the relationships that you've had that have been strengthened because you guys have suffered together. There's something about, and we talked about this on the podcast this week, but there's something about weak, suffering people that just is attractive to God and he ends up using that in beautiful ways. But the easiest way to feel closer to God is to suffer. And that pretty much sums up any book that Paul will ever write in one way or another. If you want to feel close to God, and I'm not saying, I'm not up here preaching intentional harm, but we know these things are going to happen in life. Find joy in suffering for God. I think about it all the time, like, if I want to lose weight, right, and this stupid boot is getting in the way, but if I want to lose weight, best way for me is to run or to diet or to do all of those things. And if I want to make it through those things, because that's a long-term um, solution, there's going to be some suffering that are, that's involved. Like, who likes running in here? Madeline, you like running from the cops. No, <laughs> I'm joking. But you'll see, like, if you, if you follow, like, David Goggins, or if you guys know any, some of those extreme guys, those guys become really good at embracing what they call embracing the suck, or dealing with suffering and making it positive in their heads, right? And that, you'll see here, is, a, is, a, is biblical. It's a gift given from us to God. But to suffer for what you believe in, and to suffer to God and to sacrifice is, is the ultimate form of love. It's the ultimate form of love, and it's the ultimate form of leadership. And I like to talk about leadership a lot because everybody in here should be one. Suffering is the ultimate form of showing love for somebody. And God rebounds for that in amazing ways in our life, and I don't know why. I'm certainly not worthy. 
but something happens when we do that, right? And it's the ultimate form of being a leader, and we're all called to be that. The, the basic foundation and attribute of leading people is to suffer, is to sacrifice. It's either time or money or physically or sleep or something, but you know if you're a father or if you manage people, um, if you're a husband, if you're a wife, if you're a mother, so much of leading people is sacrifice. But what does that do to your relationship with your coworkers or with your, your children or your spouse? To suffer for God will make you closer. And I'm only saying that because you see that happening in here. But what don't you see Paul losing? Faith, joy, uh, I, I doubt he's very happy. But you'll never see that. Because he knows he's at the end of his rope, and we've talked about the rope analogy in here, but he knows what's on the other side. And because of that, there's nothing any human on earth can do to take that from him or take that from us. And he knows that, and because of that, he is so joyful. And there's something to be said about that example that's set there. Suffer and sacrifice are the pinnacle foundations of leadership and the pinnacle foundations of love. And there's joy to be found in that. And that should shape our perspective. We did something a little different tonight. Um, normally, you guys will see, I'll do some opening story, um, uh, some attempts at humor that never really land. And then what you'll see is I'll talk about what we're talking about. <laughs> that didn't make sense. I'll talk about what we're talking about. I'm going with it. And then I'll paint the picture of what's going on, because I think that's important. I'm, I'm huge about not just reading your Bible, but understanding who wrote it, why they wrote it, and who they wrote it to. And that's why I always try to paint the picture. But I didn't really do a good job of that this evening, and I did that purposefully, because I want to paint that now. At the beginning is when I normally paint this stuff. But what do we see with Paul? He's in prison. He's being tortured. He's starving. Um, so many things are going on that he should just be down in the dumps, should give up, and should walk out, right? Walk out on God, walk out on his relationships, walk out on the people he's leaving, and give up. But why doesn't he do that? Why doesn't Paul, in his captivity, just say, I quit? Paul was in captivity for preaching the gospel. At this point, he had been stoned nearly to death. He had been arrested twice. Um, he had gone before councils and courts. Um, he'd been cussed out in the streets, all of those things. But yet you see a man whose circumstances just get progressively worse, who is still crying out and rejoicing in God. And through it all, all the pain, all the suffering, what Paul saw is not that he was being punished, but what did he see? We saw it in the, in, in the verses we read. He saw it as an opportunity to bring others to Christ. He saw it as an opportunity to lead his churches. What an amazing perspective. Like, I can't stress that enough. What an amazing attitude that I want to have in my life. Like, no matter, and I'm so opposite of that, maybe that's why I'm so mystified by that. But no matter what you do to me, imagine the power you guys would have as Christians if no matter what somebody did to you, you were joyful. Not joyful because of your circumstances, but joyful because of what's been promised to you. You would be unbeatable, right? You would be indestructible. And Paul's the closest worldly example that we see to that, and there's just something amazing to that. 
That, my friends, is biblical perspective. I work on perception, right? People slow me down, my week is ruined. People call me names, Mitch calls me names, my week is ruined. Mitch makes fun of me for having a bad ankle, my, my week is ruined. But you see a real, in the, in, and this is just a, something that happens in the Bible continuously. You see real people being tortured for what they believe, and you can't steal their joy from them. I long to understand eternity, like, through that lens. I long to, like, see God's promises the way, God, the way Paul sees them. Because if I was Paul, I would not have the nice things to write that he writes, right? I just said write twice. W-R-I-G-H-D, not R-I-G-H-D. That doesn't count. I long to look at God's world the way Paul looked at it. And think about it. What was Paul? Do, do, do we know Paul's history very well? Well, he, he had Christians murdered. That's how he started. He was a, he was a Jewish Pharisee, um, and he was really, really smart, really intelligent, and he was blinded by Christ. And, that's, and then God ended up, I'm, I'm sorry, blinded by God. God ends up blinding him on the road to Damascus for a couple of days. And when his eyes are open, what happens? What do we see happen in the Bible? He sees the world differently because he suffered. He suffered, and... and, and we talked about weak people, right? What we see with Paul is God used a, a man who was murdering Christians, blinded him, made him suffer, and he became the biggest voice for the church, and, and we're still talking about him now, right? Because that's what suffering does to our perspective. That's what, what cha- a little change in our attitude does for us in God's kingdom. Maybe some of you guys are at the point where you feel beat up, where you feel slowed down, where this earthly world is just not very nice to you, right? Maybe some of you are at the point of divorce or financial ruin or losing friendships, and you guys have every single right to feel as beat up as you do. But may I remind you of something? That's all temporary. That's all material, and that's all perception, right? There's something bigger in store for you, and you see it time and time and time again if you'll just open your Bible and read that God used people just like all of you guys to broken, beat up, ruined people with bad reputations, people that were morons such as myself. Um, God used all kinds of broken people to further his kingdom. Like, name a time where we saw God use a... um, a perfect person or a close to perfect person. He didn't because weakness and struggle mean something to him. Hold on. Eternity is in store for you guys and everything that you're feeling is temporary. And maybe life is going good for you right now. And maybe you have no reason to suffer for Jesus. And maybe that's taking you further away from God. I know in my life that's what tends to happen when things are going well, right? I start to go back on my path. Don't lose sight. Don't lose your perspective for your perceptions. Perceptions aren't always bad, but they can take us away from God and take us to sin. We need to get back to our factory setting of optimism. Just like Willow, my niece, right? A bad thing can happen to to just a little girl, and I'm all torn up inside about it, and she's just happy that there's a fire truck because God put that perspective into young people's lives, right? We only lose it as we get older and we get beat up. 
People will not believe the good news of Jesus Christ if they see a lack of joy in your life. People are always looking at your actions and the way you behave and conduct yourself before they will ever listen to a word that comes out of your mouth. People want to see you before they want to hear you. And like Kevin talked today, that's a big deal because I'm trying to make heaven crowded and we should be trying to make heaven crowded. And people are going to come to know Jesus Christ through you and he's going to work through you first with your actions and how you conduct yourself. It's so important, right? And think about that, and, and, and we're closing here, so bear with me. Think about that in terms of what's going on right now in our world. We get roasted all the time for not talking about current events, but we would kind of be remiss to not talk about this, right? Biblical prophecy is playing out, and in my opinion, right? We, there can be some theologian arguments about that. But what's going on in Israel? And think about how that's made you feel, and I'll tell you how it's made me feel. My first propensity to that is to get scared, to distrust God, to wonder what's going to happen to my earthly life, because that's my perception. But then you read the Bible, and you pray, and you have this relationship with God, and I don't worry. Why don't I worry? You'll hear us say, uh, when you listen to the podcast, we start to talk about world events, because we just get roasted sometimes for not talking about world events, which I don't like to, because I think it serves to be divisive. Um, but this is bigger than the world. This is God's chosen land and God's chosen people being attacked for what they believe. First time since the Holocaust, in my opinion. Why am I not scared about that? Why do I find joy in that? Why does Mitch find joy in that? Why does Kevin and Ty and Brad and all these people find joy in that? Because those are people and those are temporary and they will answer to God but I know what God has promised me in my life, and I've seen too much and too much good, and he's delivered me from too much for me to be scared about what any human can do to me on this earth. And there's something powerful in that kind of perspective, and that's what we see in Paul. That's why I decided to study Paul more than to study Scripture tonight. Um, And there will just be something amazing that happens with this transformation in our life when we choose to start seeing what's happening to us through, the, through God's eyes, through the, the omniscient perspective, than what Tyler thinks of it, right? Because it's always going to be, woe is me. It's always going to be the world's out to get me, God's out to get me, things aren't going my way, and that's not my fault, right? Wrong. Um, but we serve a God much bigger than that, and, and there's just something powerful to seeing it that way. Um, and, and as we go into this week and you guys do your thing and, and, and we, we just get exhausted from this week like I'm exhausted now, let's not lose sight of that. Let's have that perspective as, as um, followers in, in, in the creator of the universe and, and Jesus Christ that no matter what happens, we may be at the end of our ropes, but what ha- what's in store for us in eternity is so much deeper and greater and we'll never run out. Amen to that? Well, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, uh, as we're here this evening, I just pray a special blessing upon what's going on in Israel and people that are suffering in your name, Lord. Um, I I pray that they turn an eye to you and and no one chooses to turn away and that that you just bless those out there, Lord, that are suffering, that need you, that, that life is just not going their way. May you help them see, Lord, that this is temporary and your kingdom is forever, Lord. Make us all kingdom men and women that, that just 
have this joy that can't be taken, Lord, because we know the enemy wants to take it from us, and may we not let him. I just pray a special blessing upon everybody here that you be with them, that you're a light to them. Um, through dark times, through great times, whatever happens, Lord, may your finger be, fingerprint be imprinted on all these people's lives as we go out into our weeks and as we live our lives. May we just be a beacon for you, Lord, in, in everything that we do. Give us perspective. Get, get rid of our perceptions, Lord, that are taking us away from you and, taking, and, and, and preventing your work from being done through our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.